Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. If you have like one of those old paper Bible things that people used to carry around, you know, and you want to underline a couple of words, there, there's definitely some words to underline here. Deny themselves. They must take up their cross, more underlining, and follow me. We're in week nine of our series, The Commands of Christ, and this is our command this morning. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And I'm just going to be honest with you, this is something that the first service didn't get, but but it, it hit me so, so hard in, during, during the, the, the first service. Like, all I want to be able to do today, in some way, shape, or form, is to communicate the, the magnitude of this command. And I'm going to tell you, I don't have the words to do it. I have no idea. Like, it is so frustrating in my mind to, to have something that's kind of welling up in my heart and not have the words to be able to, to get it all out. So that's why I'm asking that the Holy Spirit does something that I am completely incapable of doing today. Because we cannot overestimate the magnitude of this command of Christ. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So if we have a, a version of Christianity, if we're trying to live out a version of Christianity that is always just what we want and never surrendering to what Jesus would want, we're doing it wrong. The cross is the ultimate symbol of, of, of shame and suffering and betrayal and brokenness. Those are all part of the Christian experience whenever we, we deny ourselves and we take up our cross and and we follow Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to look at this command from all different kinds of angles today and then just really kind of pray that at the end something makes sense. Um, that's kind of my, my, my goal today. Um, so let, let's start here. Let, let's start with the cross. Let's start with the cross because if there's one thing that I know about the cross, it's this, it's that it's impossible to get comfortable while carrying a cross. The cross is this ultimate symbol of, of, of shame. It was reserved for the most heinous of all criminals in Jesus' day. It was reserved for, for the kind of criminal that, that the government would want to make an example out of. Like, you do not want to be like this person. You do not want to suffer the same fate as this person. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And of course, whenever Jesus said these words, his, his time on earth was beginning to really wind down pretty quickly. And he was completely aware. He knew exactly what lied ahead of him. He knew the betrayal of those that were closest to him was coming. He, he knew that the, the trials that he was going to face, the mockery of trials that he was going to face, he knew the pain that he was going to have to suffer. 
He knew the beatings that were coming his way. He knew the shame. He knew the darkness. He knew the embarrassment. He knew the brokenness. He knew the surrender. To the point of, you guys remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus drops to his knees three different times and he begins to pray. Father, if there's any other way for your, 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 your mission, for your purpose to be accomplished other than what's getting ready to happen to me, please take this cup away from me. Didn't pray it once, not twice, but three times. But then he always added this like little addition to the end of his prayer. But Father, not my will, but your will be done. A prayer of complete surrendered. He knew that he would be bloodied and bruised, stripped of his clothing and stripped of his dignity. Yes, that Jesus, God in the flesh, would be forced to take up his own cross and carry it up the hill of Golgotha. That he would be nailed to the wood and hung high for all to see. And he knew that as he would struggle to breathe and as he would struggle to live, that the crowds would continue to gather around him to hurl insults his way. Yes, more mockery and more shame. As people would point and laugh and spit. And as Jesus would look down on the cross, he would see the very people that he came to save. And he just struggled to live as he struggled to breathe. He would have to push himself up on his nail-pierced feet and try to hold himself up with his nail-pierced hands just so his lungs could expand and contract, expand and contract, expand and contract. And he would do this over and over and over again, push himself up and hold himself until he couldn't any longer. Then he would go back down. Then whenever he would need another breath, he would push himself back up again, over and over and over again. And every single time that he would, he would scrape his shredded back on the rough wood of the cross. And he would do this again and again and again until he just couldn't anymore. Exhaustion would set in. And pain would fill his heart as he was rejected, betrayed, abandoned, and even forsaken. It is impossible to get comfortable while carrying a cross. Yet carrying a cross is exactly what those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus have been commanded to do. So how, how, how did we get here? You know, like, what, what led up to Jesus giving us this command? And what's interesting is that what preceded this command about discipleship was actually one of the most famous questions that Jesus ever asked. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in 13. It says that when Jesus came to the region of, of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, you know, I always picture this with the disciples gathered around a campfire or something like that, and Jesus is just kind of holding court, and he, he says, who do people, he asks, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied very clearly to the question that Jesus had asked. You're asking, who do people, who, who, do, who do the crowd say that the Son of Man is? Well, the crowds say that, you know, maybe you're John the Baptist, Others say that you're Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one 
of the prophets and something that was so true in Jesus' day, and it is so, so true still today. And it's this, it's that what you believe about Jesus, who you believe Jesus is, really, really matters. People ever since the time that Jesus was walking on the earth had had all kinds of different opinions about who Jesus was. In Jesus' days, some said that maybe he was John the Baptist, you know, who, 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 who had gone through all kinds of things. Maybe he was Elijah who had come back from the dead. Jeremiah or one of the prophets who had come back from the dead. All of them would have said that they believed in Jesus, but they just didn't believe correctly about Jesus. Today, the mass majority of people will say that they believe in Jesus, 85% of Americans will say that they believe that Jesus was a historical figure. But that's not really the most important question. Do you believe in Jesus? Not the most important question. But the most important question is, who exactly is the Jesus you believe in? And the reason that this question is so important is because who you say Jesus is will completely and fully determine the way that you follow him. For example, you know, one of the, there, there's a few very common um, assumptions that people will, will make about Jesus. They will say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus was a good moral teacher, right? You, maybe you've heard that one. I believe he's a good moral teacher. And if you believe that Jesus is simply just a good teacher, that's, that, that, you know, that, that, that's fine. You will, you'll, you'll follow some of the things that, that he said. You'll listen to some of the things that he said, but, but he will not have the authority over your life. Maybe you believe that Jesus is just a, a, a good example, and, and you know if that's the case, you'll emulate some of the things that Jesus did, but he won't have the authority over your life. It's only when we believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Son of the living God, the one who came to earth to save us from our sins, to conquer sin, and to conquer death, and to reign and rule in our lives and overall. It's only then that everything begins to change how we live how we see the world, how we live in the world, how we view our place in the world, how we view what's right and what's wrong, how we view hope and how we view eternity. But the church must be made up of people who believe in this Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And the church must be made up of people who know him intimately. I love Peter's response to Jesus' next question here, Jesus says, yeah, 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 that, that's fine. That's what other people, that's who other people say that I am. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, another prophet. Yeah, that's fine. That's who they say that I am. But who do you say that I am? And Peter, in one of those great Peter moments where he gets it so, so right, he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it was in response to this declaration that Peter just made, that you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son, the living God, that Jesus gives us the context for everything that would follow, including our command today. Jesus says in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are, are Peter, which means rock, Jesus says, and, and on this rock, meaning the statement that Peter had just made, and even if you look into Acts chapter 2, there's even a little bit of foreshadowing there of Peter meaning rock, being the one who ends up preaching that very first Christian sermon. But, but on this statement that you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, on this rock, Jesus says, I will build 
my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And this is the context for our command, the context in which Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The context is the church. It's this ecclesia of Jesus, this, this, this assembly, this gathering, this body of believers, this community, this group of people who intimately know Jesus and who passionately and confidently proclaim Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Discipleship begins with believing correctly about Jesus. Believing that he is who he claimed to be. Believing that he is the Messiah. Believing that he is the son of the living God. And then allowing that belief to shape everything else about us. Because when we believe correctly about Jesus, and this is so important. When we believe correctly about Jesus, and honestly, only when we believe correctly about Jesus. And when we allow that belief to drive our actions That is the only time that denying ourselves can make any sort of sense at all. However, if we believe incorrectly or even incompletely about Jesus, we will never ever recognize his authority in our lives that says that we must deny ourselves. Self-denial is not natural. Self-denial only comes through submission to a greater authority. Self-denial is not easy. It is not comfortable. But remember, it is impossible to be comfortable while carrying a cross. And then in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 and 23, we get one of the greatest examples of how Peter got his reputation. I love Peter's reputation so much. I mean, this guy had so many highs and so many lows. The guy that sees Jesus walking on the water, and he's like, oh, that looks like fun. Jesus, can I do that too? He's like, sure, come on. And Peter gets out of the boat, and he begins to walk on water, and then he looks around, sees the wind and the waves, and takes his eyes off, and and just begins to sink, you know, and just goes, and come on, Peter, let me lift you up, you know, and Peter, the one who, whenever Jesus says, all of you are going to turn away on account of me, Peter says, no, 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 Lord, all of these other yahoos may do that, but not this guy, no way, not me. Jesus says, I'm going to tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three, three times. Peter, he made all these great, bold proclamations, only to kind of be put in his place just moments Later. And so here in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 21, Jesus, he, he's telling his disciples, he's beginning to prepare his disciples for what's to come. Saying, I'm, I'm going, I, I must go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die and I'm going to ultimately raise from the dead. And, and, and Peter, just, just moments after making this, this huge declaration, and Jesus saying, On this rock, on this statement that you made, Peter, I'm going to build. My church, Peter hears what Jesus has to say about going to Jerusalem and suffering, and he's like, oh, no, 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 Jesus, that's not going to happen on my watch. That's not going to happen on my watch, and he tries to stand in the way, and Jesus replied to Peter in, in Matthew chapter 16, pretty much the exact same way that he replied to Satan himself in Matthew chapter 4. He says, get behind me, Satan. 
He says, Peter, your mind is on the things of man. It's not on on the things of God. Peter, I know that this is not what you want. I know that this is not what you think should happen. But listen, Peter, and listen, church, it's not up to you. You cannot stand in the way of the plans that the Father has already put in place. You must deny yourself. You go back to Matthew chapter 4, and we see Satan tried to seduce Jesus, take him up to this high mountaintop and and show him everything that that was beneath and said, Jesus, all of this can be yours. It was already Jesus's, right? But he says, all of this can be yours if you just fall down and worship me. In other words, Jesus, all that is already yours, you can have claim to it right now. You can forego the pain of the cross. You can go forego all the suffering and the shame. You can get rid of it all. Satan says, if you just fall down and worship me right now. He tried to forego the plans of the Father. And Jesus replied so similarly to what he did with Peter. He says, away from me. Satan. Jesus knew exactly what lied ahead of him in Matthew chapter 4. And he was undoubtedly keenly aware of what was lying ahead of him in Matthew chapter 16. He knew that he must go to the cross to fulfill the Father's will. And in light of the path that Jesus would take, his willingness to surrender his will to the will of his Father, his willingness to deny himself and to literally take up his cross, The question now turns to, will we follow him and do the same? One of the very earliest commands of Jesus was was this command to his disciples. You remember, you, you, you see these fishermen who were on the shore and they're cleaning their nets and their boats and Jesus walks up to them and he just says two words, follow me. Matthew chapter nine, he goes to, to, to a tax collector named Matthew and He walks up to his tax collector's booth and he says, follow me. And the fishermen, they leave their boats and their nets. And Matthew, he leaves his tax collector's booth. And both of them, all of them, they they get up and they begin to follow Jesus. This demand that that Jesus means that everyone who claims to to belong to Jesus must must follow Jesus. It, It means that we must join Jesus in what he came to do. It means that we must understand that there are no neutral followers of Jesus. You either follow Jesus or you don't. You either follow his ways or you don't. And for the disciples in Jesus' day, it meant meant that following him and, and, and seeing what it is that he had done so that way they could carry on his work once He was gone, and for us today, it means that that we have to continue to go back and see the work of Jesus, so that way we can continue to carry on his work. Today, we see that Jesus, he came to, 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 to serve, not to be served, which means that we as followers of Jesus must also not look to be served, but we must look to serve. It means that that Jesus, he came to, to, to live a life of sacrifice and to give his life as a ransom 
for many to consider others better than himself, which means that if we're going to follow Jesus, that we must do the same. It means that whenever Jesus says that he came to seek and save that which is lost, that we too as followers of Jesus must also look to seek and save those who are living without the hope of Jesus, not through our own power, but through the power of the resurrected Christ. It doesn't mean that we are to build walls between us and the lost. It means that we are to go and seek and save that which is lost. Jesus says that he did not come to call the righteous, but he came to call sinners. He said that he came to to give life and to give it to the full. He said that he came for the glory, to live for the glory of of his Father. We see that Jesus was compassionate. We see that he was accepted and accepting of outsiders. We see that he came to carry his own cross and to die so that we may live. And here we get this snapshot of, of what it means to follow Jesus and to be a part of his church. It means that you die to yourself by putting aside self-righteousness and self-indulgence and everything that belongs to you, your dreams and your desires, your ambitions, your, your possessions, your thoughts, your relationships, your comfort. They all become secondary because Jesus must be primary. This is honestly like the theme of some of Jesus' most startling teaching. To where he, he talks about all these things that, that we so often tend to put primary, and he's like, you need, and it needs to be as though you, you, you hate your father and mother in comparison to me. You, you, you hate your brother in, in comparison. It, it is so startling, but he, Jesus is just saying, and whenever it comes to this idea that, that it's, it's as though we hate the things of this world and, and the things um, that, that are around us, we can no longer hold those things in the highest regard. I told you, I don't know how to get this out of me. When compared to the aim, to our aim, to die to ourselves so that we can become more like Jesus, that must be what reigns supreme. We must begin to think how he thought and live how he lived. And we must speak how he spoke and loved as he loved. And we must surrender it all to the one who has authority. We must surrender our version of truth to Jesus and his version of truth. We must take up our cross. Because this is the only way that we can truly follow so one, one, one more time, let's listen to this command. It's going to be more than one more time. I shouldn't have said that. But again, let's listen to this command. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Discipleship begins with a confession and a proper belief in Jesus. It then moves to surrender and self-denial. It demands that we take up our cross and all the pain and suffering and rejection and shame and mockery and brokenness that may come our way in the name of Jesus so that we may truly follow Jesus. And maybe you hear this today and it's like, this sounds so terrifying and and, and, and honestly, I, I, there's a big part of me that believes that if this doesn't sound terrifying, at least to a certain extent, that that we might be missing the point. It's impossible to be comfortable as a Christian while still carrying our cross. It's impossible to, to be comfortable while carrying a cross. I love the way that the Apostle Paul puts it. He says this in Galatians chapter 2. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
So it's no longer I who live. It's no longer my wants and my desires that reign supreme. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And though this may sound foolish to the world around us, Jesus says this is the way that we actually find life. Listen to what Jesus says just after our command today. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And so here are the questions that I want to ask you this morning. Have you died to yourself? Like, have you surrendered your will and your desires to Christ? Have you, have you surrendered your life to the authority of Christ? Have you taken up your cross? Have you counted the cost of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Are you committed to embracing the uncomfortable? Are you committed to embracing any embarrassment and shame that may come your way because of your relationship in Jesus? This is where I, I believe is, as, as, as a a church, we, we, we can just miss this because we don't understand being uncomfortable. So often, I don't want to speak for, so often we don't understand being uncomfortable for our faith. We don't understand our faith being put on trial. But I just look at this and I, I just wonder, are we committed to embracing whatever may come our way today or in the future? Or if certain trials come our way, is that going to be the straw that broke the camel's back? And are we just going to bail? Today, are you following Jesus? Are you doing what Jesus came to do? Are you becoming more like him? Have you found your life in him? Are you eagerly proclaiming the good news of the kingdom as you eagerly await the return of the king? I love this quote by David Flatt. He says, For the early disciples, the language of taking up your cross would have immediately brought to mind pictures of crucifixion. Anyone carrying his cross was a dead man walking. Your life as you knew it was over. So as we die to ourselves and take up our cross, we are not simply leaving behind sin and self, but we are also committing to follow Jesus. And the same invitation that Jesus extended to the disciples is the exact same invitation that he extends to us today. Follow me. Pursue me, Jesus says. Walk in my footsteps according to my word, according to my ways, trusting in my power while living for my praise. And this teaching, it will never be popular in the world. And honestly, this teaching may never even be popular in the church. It goes against every single cultural norm. Surrendering and giving someone else authority is looked at as foolishness. If we follow this command, it will be uncomfortable. But never forget, it is impossible to be comfortable while carrying a cross. But in the end, but in the end, 
It will make us more like Jesus. Man, I hope that's our goal. So you pray with me this morning. My Father in heaven, I thank you for the hope that we have in you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will just take some of these words and allow them to land where they need to land, that you'll open us up, Jesus, to becoming more like you. I know it's not easy. I know it can hurt. But God, may we never miss the fact that it's still what we've been called to do and who we've been called to be. So Jesus, thank you for for commands that go so much deeper than my ability to understand. My ability to communicate. All because, Jesus, what you have done for us is greater than anything we could ever imagine. So Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.